0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. And I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com. That's blogtalkradio.com. You can send messages to the show on Twitter, at go For Again, and that is G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, at go For Again. Also, you can hit us up on the chat room, blogtalkradio.com, slash pgant. We can chat it up, have a good old time, talk sports, have fun doing it, because that's what we do here. And we're going to do a lot of that today. No, you know, it's, be- it's a beautiful day out here in the Northeast, beautiful day out here. In the Northeast, beautiful, 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 beautiful summer day. And we're expected to be joined today by Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Kirk has a new book out, Game Changer. Uh, So, I mean, great book, great, great book. And we're going to talk to Kirk about that book. Talk to Kirk about his preparation for the upcoming season. Who knows what could happen? He could be the starter come week one if RG3 is not 100%. So we're going to talk to Kirk about his preparation for the start of the NFL season. Also, we're going to talk to free agent forward Darrell Wright. Darrell played with the Sixers last season. Darrell is a free agent. Darrell is looking for a new place to play, and we'll see where Darrell will be when free agency gets started. But we're going to talk to Darrell about his season, about his free agency, and also about his great foundation, the Right Way Foundation. So we're going to talk to him about all of that. I want to start now. And last time I spoke to you guys, a few weeks ago, last time I spoke to you guys, the NBA finals were going on. Last time I spoke to you guys, we were talking about game five and how important game five was going to be and whoever was going to win game five was going to win the series. At least that's what I said at the time. Well, obviously, the team that won game five didn't win the series. You can argue that the team that uh, didn't win the series choked it away. I mean, the San Antonio Spurs... You got to feel for Kawhi Leonard. You got to feel for Tim Duncan. You got to feel for Manu Ginobili. You got to feel for Greg Popovich. I mean, those guys had that series won. It was won. And they coughed it up. But we'll get back to that. Uh, We'll talk about that later in the show. But I want to start with Aaron Hernandez. And this is a crazy story. I mean, it, it, it doesn't get much crazier than this. I mean, Aaron Hernandez, I mean, uh, the more information we hear about this guy, the more we say this cat's just nothing but a street thug. I mean, that's all he is, a street thug playing football. I mean, he obviously has not grown up. He obviously is is a guy who, who does things his own way and handles things in his own way. And, you know, at this point, it's all alleged. It's all alleged, but he is being investigated for two other murders. But, again, all alleged at this point, so we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But from what we're saying, and, you know, before we get to him, let's talk about the victim, Odin Lloyd. His funeral is today. My condolences go out to the family of Odin Lloyd. I mean, obviously, they're missing a part of their life. Somebody's brother, sister, uh, somebody's brother, somebody's friend, somebody's confidant died uh, the other day, and I believe they're laying him the rest today. So uh, my condolences go out to the family of Odin Lloyd. But uh, uh, if everything they're saying is true, basically they're saying they're, they're, it's all up in the air at this point. But one thing you're hearing is that there's a possible link between that murder in 2012 and the possible murder of Odin Lloyd uh, this past a uh, few few weeks ago. They're possibly saying that uh, Odin Lloyd was talking too much and might have been talking about that particular incident that happened in two, 2012, obviously, we don't know. But one thing we, we, we're starting to get, and what's starting to become clearer is the situation why uh, Odin Lloyd may have been killed. I know at least they're saying there's a possibility that one of the reasons he was killed was because he was talking to the wrong people at a particular club. And, you know, Aaron Hernandez took umbrage with that, took offense to that, and Aaron Hernandez may have did done, I should say, what he has been accused of, what he is being accused of, basically is an execution-style murder. Shot him five times. Five times. Shot him five times. And it's all alleged at this point, all alleged. I mean, it's shot three times as he was trying to get away, trying to avoid him. And then it was shot two more times on each side of the chest. So it was shot a total of five times. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is this is a – the more you hear about Aaron Hernandez, you're starting to believe or wonder, this cat nothing more than a cold-blooded killer. And, I mean, he obviously is dealing with some issues. And at this point, again, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it's not looking good. It's not looking good, but, again, you know, we, we still have to give him the benefit of the doubt. There is no murder weapon at this point. A lot of the evidence is circumstantial evidence, very strong circumstantial evidence, but it is circumstantial evidence. I mean, we, we don't have any direct eyewitnesses at this point. I mean, there have been two others uh, arrested, but we don't know their connection to this, at this point to this murder. I mean, but it's it's just shocking. It's shocking. I know there was a lot of talk about this guy coming out of college, that he was a bad – you know, he had some issues with marijuana usage, and some people questioned his character coming out of college, and that's why he went to the fourth round. I mean, but, you know, the Patriots drafted him, and I guess they assumed that he would live by the Patriot way and do what Belichick and, and, and Brady and the rest of those guys do. And – I guess on some level he did, at least on the surface, but I guess as you delve deeper into it, maybe, you know, it was just that surface. On the surface, we thought he was doing what he was supposed to do. And I mean, the, the Patriots ultimately took a chance on this guy. They took a chance on him, and, and taking a chance on him, they got some production. I mean, they did get some production out of the guy. They got some production out of the guy, but ultimately. Ultimately, Aaron Hernandez became the guy that many thought he was. He, many, th- I mean, I don't think anybody thought he was a, a cold-blooded killer, but I don't think any, but a lot of people did think he was a bad guy. And it, it's a, it's a sad story, it's just a very very sad story. I mean, these are the stories that I hate the most. I hate talking about guys who have been to the top and now tumbled all the way down. That's, those stories are always troubling to me. Those stories are always sad to me. Those are the stories I hate talking about the most. I hate to see people who 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 made it all the way to the top and now is taking that elevator all the way down, all the way down, and I mean all the way down to the last possible floor there is. I mean, <laughs> this guy, you know, $40 million, $40 million, and, you know, now he, he, he wasted all that, had the fiance, young child at home. Uh, the way things are looking, a young child would only ever see him in a prison jumpsuit. I mean, that, that's the only way they'll see him, and that's sad. That's sad, a, a, a guy that seemingly had it all. Big-time tight end in the NFL, playing on a big-time team, making big-time money. Beautiful home, beautiful woman, beautiful child. I mean, there's really nothing else you can ask for in life to be successful at what you do, to be successful at a passion that you have. There's nothing more you can ask for in life. There's really not anything else you can ask for in life. He had that. Seemingly had, you know, a woman who stuck by him. They were what? High school sweethearts. They were together since high school. So he had somebody that was going to ride for him. And now we have this. Now we have a guy who may be nothing more than a cold-blooded killer. And he will be ever known, forever known if, if, things, if he is convicted as a cold-blooded killer. Patriots stepped right away from this. They cut this guy right away. They, they, once they heard the charges, it was a done deal for the Patriots. Aaron Hernandez was no more for the New England Patriots, and now they're, they're, they're taking back jerseys. you got a Hernandez jersey lying around. The, the Patriots pro shop will, will do something in terms of an exchange for you. They're, they're going to look out for you in terms of an exchange, so you know they're trying to get as far away from Aaron Hernandez as possible far away as possible from this guy and judging by some of the stories that we're hearing, it may not be a bad idea. I mean, the incident in Florida, uh, where he May allegedly shot a guy in the face and there was a civil suit with that which was thrown out, but I mean just it's just a lot of stuff going on the Patriots. I mean, July sixth and seventh at the Patriots Pro Shop, they're offering fans an opportunity to exchange Aaron Hernandez jerseys. Exchange jerseys. So, again, they are distancing themselves so far away from this guy, and they're moving swiftly. You could argue that, okay? I mean, is it is it right that they're moving so far away from this guy at the end of the day? He does have the presumption of innocence. I mean, that is the way our legal system is, is, is made. I mean, we are innocent until proven guilty. At this point, the, the court of public opinion Has this man already guilty? I don't think there's – the the court of public opinion is saying guilty. But the court of public opinion does not matter. What matters is what 12 people say. And whenever that happens, that case could happen – some legal experts saying that case could happen next year. This could be a next year deal. And, you know, the, the thing about Aaron Hernandez is he does have money. And money can get you a solid, solid defense. He has a couple big-time lawyers out there in Boston. I mean, and those lawyers are going to probably have the resources to get experts involved, to get all different types of experts involved here so they can get this guy off. You know they're going to have them. They have the money. They're going to have the experts. And we'll see. Will those experts be able to do what they need to do? I mean, O.J. Simpson, you know, whether you agree with him or – I mean, there's a lot of people who believe O.J. Simpson is a guilty man. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I'll say this. O.J. Simpson did have a heck of a defense team. O.J. Simpson was able to bring in various experts to put doubt in the case. And that's all you need as a, a, a criminal, not as a criminal, as a defendant. All you need is to put a little bit of doubt. Reasonably, all you need is just a little bit of doubt. In the moment you have a little bit of doubt is the moment you can get off. But we'll see. We'll see with this whole situation. I mean, you know, cops are still going to his house, still looking and and seeing what they can find in terms of Aaron Hernandez, trying to figure out what truly is going on and what happened. What happened? What happened? What did Aaron Hernandez do? Why did he do it? And If it is as simple as disrespect, then that's a sad, dangerous person. That is a dangerous person. Because I could if it's all about disrespect and that was it, this is a dangerous guy. Still is a dangerous guy as far as I'm concerned if, if he really truly did what he's accused of. I mean, but if the motive is what he what what they say it say it is, just disrespect at this point, <laughs> I, I'm, that's a dangerous guy. And as you know, you, you you look at his fiance at this point. I mean, she's still standing by her man, and uh, I, I if judging by some of the things that are coming out about this guy, uh, I would tell her to probably get as far away as from him as possible. And judging by what may happen, that may not be too hard. That may not be too hard. But this is truly a sad story. This is truly a sad story. And again, I'm one of these guys who hates these type of stories. I hate people who make it all the way to the top. And go all the way to the bottom. These stories really just bother me. I don't know for for whatever reason, these type of stories really, really sad, really really touch me, really sadden me. It's just really sad, really really sad. And I just hope that whatever happened, I hope the ultimately you want the truth to come out, whatever the truth may be, however ugly however pretty, however it may be, you want the truth to come out. And judging by what is going on here, it's not going to be pretty. You want the truth to come out. If he killed people, two people, back in 2012, we need the truth to come out. If if he killed Odin Lloyd a few weeks ago, we need the truth to come out. We need this guy. And And if he did all those things, obvious, true menace, to society and obvious and true menaces to society belong in and maybe he is in the right place at this time maybe he obviously is not a good guy you get the sense that he is not a good guy he is not a good person he is a dangerous person a very, very dangerous person. And people like him need to be off the streets. Matt Light, former teammate, patriot teammate of Aaron Hernandez also talked about him. And and Matt Light said, You know what? I never believed in anything Aaron Hernandez stood for. Never. Never believed in anything. Aaron Hernandez stood for never embraced him. Never. Didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. And you know it is always a lot easy for people to come out at this time and 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 talk and and say you know what I knew he was this, I knew he was that, and it's it's easy, it's common. You see it. All the time, but maybe he saw something that some others did not see. Maybe, maybe. But you, it's it's a a, a, a troubling story. Ray Caruth like the story of Ray Caruth when you know all the story the truth, the story about he hired a killer to kill a woman who was about to be. Uh, the mother of his child, she was pregnant at the time. She was killed by the killer that Ray Karouf hired. And the baby survives, and the baby is going through uh, various health issues at this point, but he is surviving. And the uh, the mother of Sharika Adams, the woman who was killed by Ray Karuf, she is raising the child. I saw the story about those two many years ago, on, um, about a couple of years ago, last year on real sports about them and that story and how she's raising them. And, you know, he ha- he has some issues, and he actually looks like Ray karuf he has-, he has a lot of physical issues, but he's fighting, he's battling, and, you know, he- he's fighting. And so you-, you look at him, though, he really does look like Ray Karuf and it's sad. And Ray Karouf is up for parole soon, so we'll see if he gets that. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's very similar to that, and it's just – the stupidity of it all. I mean, you, you make all this money, and, and money doesn't take away issues. No, it does not. Sometimes it makes more issues. Money does not take away issues. But, you know, at the same time, and and, at, and also at the same time, we, 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 we tend, and I talk about this all the time, we tend to put people with money, people who are athletes, on the pedestal. And we can't put people on pedestals because the moment you make these people Unhuman, inhuman. The moment you make these people machines and robots is the moment they'll let you down because they're humans. Humans make mistakes. Humans are fallible. Humans have issues. Humans do things that we don't understand. Some things are, are understandable, some things are forgivable. And whatever you, based on what you believe, all things are forgivable. I do believe all things are forgivable. May not happen tomorrow, but all things are forgivable in terms of what Aaron Hernandez did, allegedly. I mean, you know, it's easy for me to say it's standing where I'm standing that it's forgivable, but but the the Odin Lloyd's family may feel differently, and I couldn't knock them if they did feel differently. I can't at all. It's weird though. His his. Apparently Odin Lloyd was dating the sister of Aaron Hernandez's fiance. So if you're Aaron Hernandez's fiance, you're you're that's a tough spot you're in right now. That's a very, very tough spot. Do you stand by your man or, or do you stand by what you believe is truth? Whatever that may be. And apparently she was very cooperative with cops at one point. And then she stopped being cooperative with cops. So we don't know why they may that may be. We could speculate because that's what we do. That's what we do most of the time. We speculate. And that's what these cops and, and, and investigators are doing. They're speculating. But it seems like they have a strong case. But at the same time, there is no murder weapon. There is no murder weapon. So we don't know whether or not Aaron hernandez, we can't say definitively, doesn't look good, but we cannot say definitively that Aaron Hernandez did what he is accused of doing. This story will continue to grow will continue to progress, but one thing that it's clear at this point someone did die that's sad, and Aaron hernandez is i mean but we both families, the hernandez family and the Lloyds family, are forever changed because of what transpired. They're forever changed. Even if Aaron Hernandez is not guilty, their family has forever changed. Because the reality is, even if the courts say you're not guilty, a la O.J. Simpson, doesn't mean that people are going to believe that you're innocent. That's just life. That's just the reality of the situation. It is what it is. And it's a sad story, but it will progress, and we will see what happens moving forward. Wow. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Let's switch gears now. Switch gears now. We're about to bring in a guy now who is a free agent. Um, and now, at this point, um, he's he's going to be looking. He's going to be looking around the league. Maybe he resigns with his team, the Philadelphia 76ers last season, Darrell Wright. Maybe he stays with the Sixers. Or maybe... He goes elsewhere. I mean, Darrell Wright is a versatile player, can play multiple positions, uh, can shoot the basketball, can defend a little bit. So he's a guy that is, can be valuable for a franchise. We'll see where he goes in 2013. Let's bring him in now, free agent forward, Darrell Wright. Darrell, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing good. How you doing?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
0: No, thanks for having me, man.
1: Now, Darrell, before we get to you, we got to get to your boy D-Wade. Three chips for God, him, the yeah. Miami Heat beat the San Antonio Spurs in a seven-game series. Your yeah. thoughts on what you saw in that series?
0: Man, one of the best series I've seen in a while, man. You know, those guys really, you know, uh, competed at a high, high level. Um, you know, you got to definitely tip your head off to San Antonio for, um, you know, coming out playing so well. And um, I thought they would have closed it out in game six, but, you know, they missed some key free throws down the stretch. And you know, when you play a good team like that, you can't give them another chance. So, um, But you still got to tip your hat off to San Antonio. They played well, but, you know, the Heat was just a better team.
1: So, in your opinion, you don't think the Spurs choked it away? You think the Heat won it?
0: You no, know, I, I, I think, you know, in game six, you know, those free throws down the stretch that they missed, or, you know, was the reason why they didn't win. You know, they had everybody around the court getting ready to rope off the court. Everybody thought the game was over. Right. So, um, you know, they missed those three throws, and, you know, he came down at the end, executed, and made big shots.
1: Now, you've known D-Wade for a very long time, and throughout the course of these playoffs, he was hampered by his knee. You played with him. How hampered was he by
0: that knee? I know he was, he had to be hurt because, um, at times he didn't look like himself, but he knowing D-Way, you know, he's not never going to make that excuse. He's just going to go out there and try to do what he can to help the team win. And, um, that's exactly what he did. He went out there, you know, he fought through it. You know, other guys with those type of injuries and sit down, miss weeks and months at a time, but, you know, he went out there, he fought through it. And, you know, he, 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 he played a big role with them winning that, that series.
1: Now, a lot of people have been talking about this debate throughout the course of these playoffs and throughout the course of this season. Who are you taking? LeBron James,
0: Michael Jordan? Uh, me, just, you know, growing up in the same era, uh, watching Michael Jordan, I had to go with Michael Jordan.
1: Okay, okay. Do you see a, a chance that LeBron could possibly surpass him? Is there an opportunity? Is there? A, there's an opportunity, obviously, but is there a chance?
0: For sure, you know, um, that's what it is. You know, records are made, made to be broken. You know, uh, Jordan came in, you know, he took it over with Magic and Bird and all those guys were good. And I think, you know, Kobe did it after Michael, and now LeBron is surpassing all those guys as well. If He continues to keep winning and uh, putting up the crazy numbers and stats that he does each and every night. I think he could be one of the greatest to ever play, ever.
1: Now, you've been a part of a championship team back in 2006 with the Heat, You know firsthand what it takes to grind, the mental, the physical grind that it takes to win a title. Talk about that. Tell us about that. Tell us about the mental and physical grind of winning an NBA title.
0: Man, it's definitely um, a lot to do with mental because everybody's hurt. Everybody's, you know, still have nagging injuries from, you know, regular season. So a lot of guys got to fight through things, you know, and, and, and basically everything is up top in your head, man, you know. You just put your mind to it, you know. You got that one goal, and that's to win 16 games and win a championship. You know, I played with a lot of veteran guys, and they've been through a lot. And, you know, they were hungry as well, so they wouldn't let no little nagging injury or anything like that um, stop them from from the goal and something they set, you know, when they first came in the league. And um, I really, really learned mental toughness, you know, playing with a lot of veteran guys.
1: We're talking to free agent forward Darrell Wright, and now Darrell, let's talk about you. Now, last season, you had some struggles with the Sixers, but I felt, in my opinion, I watched it closely. I thought it was because of inconsistent minutes. I didn't feel like you really, truly had a solidified role. Talk about that.
0: You know, it was the up and down year. You know, definitely roller coaster ride. Um, a lot of injuries and things like that. You know, I don't think we really reached our expectations of the team. You know, every team want to get to the playoff. But, you know, we had a lot of injuries as well, but you never want that to be an excuse. But, you know, we had a lot of new guys, not new guys. Our coach is still trying to figure out, you know, good lineups and things like that, you know. So uh, it's just part of the game, you know, me being around for a long time. I know to handle myself, continue to be a pro, work on my game. And, you know, whenever my number was called, you know, to go out there and play hard and, you know, contribute to the team and have the team win.
1: Do you feel like you were misused?
0: No, I wouldn't say that. You No, I wouldn't say that. When you go to different teams, you know, it's a different systems. So, you know, you probably won't play the same way you played with your previous team or, or, or things like that. So I wouldn't say I was misused.
1: Now, I look at the Sixers last season, and to me, it came down to every moment, okay, October, Bynum's coming back. We push it back to December, buying coming back. January buying up's coming back. After the all star break, buying up's coming back. How much does that hurt you guys?
0: Um yeah, it big time just because the inside presence, you know, uh, especially a post president which which is missing our game right now. You know, guys are playing with their back to the basket, um, giving you uh, a bucket when you need one. And you know, Bynum is one of those guys that, you know, you could throw the ball down to twenty times a game and you know, he's gonna give you um he's gonna give you a lot of a lot of offense. Either if it's him scoring or him passing the ball out being double team. So, you know, us missing him, that was huge, but you know, we never had the opportunity to start with him or in training camp or anything like that. So we never really, you know, was like, Oh man, we really need him. We did need him but we never had him, so it was like, you know, I don't know. It was, it was kind of crazy because, you know, he was, he was just out from training camp, so we never got a feel for what type of player he was going to be or whatever it was. How could he help us?
1: And that was tough. That was a tough situation for the 76ers. Tough situation for the whole team, to be honest with you. I mean, it had to be. You never knew when this guy was going to come back, and ultimately he never came back. I mean, you're a free agent now, Darrell. The situation mm-hmm. in Philadelphia has changed. New GM, it's going to be a new coach. Is Philly your first choice, or, or do you see yourself elsewhere?
0: Um, you know, Philly is definitely going to be the first choice just because I'm familiar with everything. But, you know, it's going to be kind of similar to me going somewhere else because it's going to be a new system, new coaches, new everything. So right. um, I'm really open, you know, for whatever, as long as it's a great situation for myself and my family. You know, it's a business at the end of the day. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm really, really, really trying to get back there, but, you know, if the opportunity opens up for me to go back and it's a great situation for myself and family, I'll be there. But, you know, if something else, another opportunity opens up, uh, you, you know, you got to see see what it does and, and take a look at it.
1: We're talking to free agent forward Darrell Wright. Now, during this off season. is there one thing that you pinpoint or one thing that you're going to work on?
0: Um, you know, what? Well, one thing I, I never do is try to pinpoint on one thing uh, as far as my game. Uh, when I go in the summertime, I just try to work on everything, ball handling, um, you know, get my shot even more consistent, uh, playmaking, and, you know, also like mid-range. And you know, when guys are running me off my shot, uh, you know, one-two dribble pull-ups and things like that. So it's just an all-around game. I try to tighten up so when I get back to the season, you know, everything is tight.
1: Now you've got a big time, big time foundation, the Right Way Foundation. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, and D. Right the Right Way Foundation has you know, been definitely a blessing the past three years, and uh, going into the fourth year having a foundation, and we've done a lot of great things with the foundation, and uh, I'm very excited about the things we have up and coming. You know, us just doing a scholarship. and uh, Russell Russell, one of my close friends, coming in. And uh, helping out as well, sending these kids to college man is definitely a blessing, especially as being two inner city kids, and now being in a position where we can help others, it's amazing.
1: Definitely, definitely. Where can fans find information about this great foundation?
0: Um, everything is on the website drightwayfoundation.org, dot org, and you know it tells you everything we have done already and all the things we're going to be doing, um, up and coming and things like that.
1: Now, the NBA draft is upon us. You went pick number 19 back in 2004, right out of high school for the Miami Heat. Talk about your emotions and how it felt when you heard your name on draft day.
0: Man, first off, the draft was definitely nerve-wracking. Me being an 18-year-old kid, putting my name in the draft. Not too many people familiar with my name, so, you know, it was definitely nerve-wracking. But, you know, it was the greatest feeling ever when. You know, David Stern called my name. It was just like I just felt it coming, you know, because I was I, I got up in my seat and I got closer and closer. Like I just felt he was getting ready to call my name, and it was a great, great day, you know, when he when he did. My whole family and friends were at the house and everybody was going crazy.
1: I can imagine probably a great, great time for all rights involved in that particular day. Now Darrell, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter?
0: Uh, Twitter is the right way, number one, and I'm also heavy on Instagram too, uh, and that's the right way.
1: So you got you got nice pictures there on Instagram.
0: Nice pictures, funny videos. <laughs> okay.
1: okay, okay. So fans, make sure you check this man out on Twitter. Make sure you check him out on Instagram. This man is everywhere. He's doing things the right way. Darrell, pleasure having you, man. Wish you nothing Thank but you. the best of luck. Let's do this again.
0: Yes, sir. Thanks
1: for having me, man. Thank you to Darrell Wright for joining us. I mean, and he is a free agent. And hopefully he'll get on and catch on with a team. I mean, again, he has versatility. He has the ability to, to guard multiple positions, the ability to play multiple positions, has the big-time shooting ability. So, you know, he's a guy who led the league in three-pointers a couple of years, a few years back. So he can obviously stroke the basketball. So Hopefully he'll get an opportunity in 20 – he'll get an opportunity. It's just a matter of where he will get the opportunity. Maybe it's with the Sixers, but as far as I'm concerned, as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you know, obviously I love the trade. I love the trade of of, of trading uh, Drew Holiday away and and getting a Noel, getting uh, a 2014 lottery-protected draft pick, but it's protected one through five. So, hey – there is an opportunity for the Philadelphia 76ers to get good and get cornerstone pieces moving forward. The Philadelphia 76ers, quite frankly, they were stuck in Atlanta Hawksville. And that is, you know, good enough to get to the playoffs, but definitely not good enough to win a title. Good enough to get to the playoffs, but not good enough to get to to win a title. And that is where the Sixers were. Well, last season it really fell apart. And I, feel, I mean, and here's the thing, Sixers went for it last year. You know what? They knew that Andre Iguodala, having him on the team, and the way the roster was presently constructed, they weren't going anywhere. So they had to make a splash. They made the splash with Andrew Bynum. I was okay with it. Actually, I loved it at the time. Obviously, that fell apart. That didn't work out. So my thinking is, okay, you went for it. It didn't happen. Let's blow this thing up. Let's get the wrecking ball in and just blow this thing up. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with what they did in terms of blowing this thing up. Noel, we'll see what he'll be. But I'm looking for 2014. I'm willing and hoping that 2013 will be a tanking situation for the Philadelphia 76ers. I want a tank job. I want 15, 16, 17 wins. I want Andrew Wiggins. I want Andrew Wiggins. I want as many lottery balls as I can get to get my hands on Andrew Wiggins. Tank the season. Tank it. I'm okay with it. You have my blessing, Sam Hinkie, and whoever you hire as your head coach. You have my blessing as a lifelong Philadelphia 76ers fan You have my blessing to tank the 2013-2014 NBA season. You have my blessing. You have it. I want Andrew Wiggins. Many believe it's the best prospect that has came along since LeBron James. I want Andrew Wiggins. I may sound like a little baby, right? I want Andrew Wiggins. I want Andrew Wiggins. That's who I want. I want him. I want him. He's a guy that is the piece. Here's the thing. What wins championships in the NBA? Superstars. Other than, look at the last 10 years, other than the the Detroit Pistons back in 2004, teams with superstars have won titles. Kobe won five of them. LeBron, two of them. Duncan, two of them. I mean, I want and we're just talking about Duncan has won four in total, but I was just talking about in the 2000s. Three of them, actually, in the 2000s. I want a title. And the only way I can get a title is through a superstar. The big three in Boston, when they won it, they had superstars. Pierce was a superstar, but you can argue at the time, Garnett and Ray Allen were just stars. I believe that superstars win championships. I believe if you want a chip, you need a superstar. I believe that the Philadelphia 76ers did the right thing in trading Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a good point guard, very good point guard. He was an all star last season. But I believe we've seen the best of Drew Holiday. And the best of true Holiday isn't bad, but guess what? Sixers got a lot of cap space now. A ton of cap space, and don't use it. Please, don't use this cap space. Don't, 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 don't bring in a veteran that's going to mess this whole thing up. Don't bring in anybody that's going to mess up this tanking situation. Please, don't do that. Let's tank this situation. Let's tank this season. Let's tank this season. Please, tank this season. I don't want a lot of wins next year. I, as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, will take the year off. I'm going to watch. There might be times I may root against you. Because I want Andrew Wiggins. I want to tank it. Looks like the Celtics, they're in a tanking situation as well. They're stripping their team down. Celtics and the Sixers, they're going to be battling. And they've been rivals for many years, but they're now going to be battling for Andrew Wiggins. I want Andrew Wiggins. Hashtag Wiggins 2014 for the Philadelphia 76ers. That's what I want. We'll see how it turns out, but as far as I'm concerned, the Sixers have my permission. I have given the Philadelphia 76ers, Sam Hinkey, and whoever coach they bring in, I've given them permission as a fan to tank the 2013-2014 NBA season. We'll see how it turns out. We're going to bring in a guy now, and we're going to talk the NBA draft. There's a lot of trades, a lot of interesting storylines. The number one pick was a shocker to a lot of people. Let's bring him in now, St. Peter's assistant coach, Marlon Gill. Marlon, how are you? How's it going, man? Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
2: Nah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. You're you already uh, politicking for the Sixers,
1: huh? W- Wiggins, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I want Andrew Wiggins. Superstars win title, and I know we're far, far away from a title. That's that's who I want, but we'll see how it turns out. Marlon, everybody went crazy when the Cavaliers surprised a lot of people in taking L B forward Anthony Bennett. Good move, in your opinion?
2: Uh very good move. Um you know, it it surprised a lot of people, but I I think it just shows you how you know everybody's talking about that this year's draft was pretty weak. You know, I I beg to differ. It's just a lot of role guys. Like granted it didn't have your star power type player, but Anthony Bennett going to the Cavaliers is a very good move.
1: So you like the move, you were were you surprised by the move?
2: Uh very surprised very surprised. But, you know, like I said, there wasn't that star power guy that you could form a franchise around. You know, and Anthony Bennett fits in with what Cleveland's trying to do. Uh, You know, you have him, you have Tristan Thompson, Kyrie Irving, Deion Waiters. That's not a bad core group. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I I think if if they can get a uh, good free agent in there, a, a veteran, you know, that can bring something to the table, not just a veteran just to bring one in, but somebody that can bring something to the table. It, you know, Cleveland, they'll be back. They'll have a chance to crack that seventh, eighth spot. It's almost similar to uh, the Washington Wizards a couple years ago when, when they had those guys, uh, Karam Butler, Arenas.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: you, you know, I, I see them forming a team that way, you know, that'll crack that six, seven, eighth eighth range in, in the playoffs. And, you know, they'll scare a, a top-tier team. You know won't get over the hump just yet because of their youth, but can scare an older team
1: now, conversely, let's look at Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Bobcats. They take Cody Zeller at the number four spot, Noel was still on the board, Lamore still on the board- still on the board. Was that a reach for Zeller in your opinion? uh you know what
2: i i'm I'm gonna say it was you know you never want to go against michael jordan the player but you know michael jordan the business guy the past couple of years doesn't really have a great grade um you know I, I probably would have taken noel over zeller and and even macklemore i'm a big ben macklemore fan uh but you know that's why mike gets paid the big bucks you know he, he must know what he's doing
1: i, I hope i hope but uh it <laughs> hasn't been looking good <laughs> over the years i mean but We'll see. Let's talk about Norlin's Noel. I mean, he was drafted by the Hornets, ultimately traded to the Sixers, coming off an ACL injury, still has to fill out his frame a little bit. But how do you see Noel moving forward?
2: Uh, It it all depends on how he comes back from that injury. Uh, You know, I, I know the knock on him coming out of high school a little bit last year was that he wanted to show his perimeter skills. And once you start showing what you can't do, it takes away from what you can do. And I I think that really hurt him, Uh, you know, if he just stuck to blocking shots and, you know, playing in the paint. Like, I I tell our guys, you know, on on my team all the time, like, hey, man, do what's going to make you successful. Don't try to prove people wrong with certain things because all you end up doing is hurting yourself. And, uh, you know, I I think that might have been what really hampered him, you know, dropping so low.
1: Now, I mean, do you see him at some point, obviously – it's, I think it's going to take a while for him to to develop that offensive game. But how do you do you see him at some point developing some type of offensive game?
2: Uh, you know what? It, that, that'll all depend on what the team needs him to do. Right. Right now, you know, just to think about it. You know, almost 20 years ago, I'm, I'm showing my age on this one, but Matumbo didn't have an offensive game whatsoever. Right. You know, and he developed right. that over time, and you know. You see how he turned out. I, I think Nerlens Noel will kind of fit that same kind of mold. Uh, you know, we'll get paid the block shots and be a defensive presence. And, you know, if, if he gets around the 10, 11 point per average game, is that necessarily a bad thing for his career? I, I don't think so.
1: Not at all. Not at all, definitely. We're talking to St. Peter's assistant coach Marlon Gill. I want to get your thoughts on Victor Oladipo, freakish athlete, Guy can't really shoot very well, doesn't have the greatest of handle, but can defend very, very well. I'm not very high on him. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of see uh, Fred Jones many years ago from the Pacers and played for the Raptors as well. I know he's a little bigger than Fred Jones. I know Fred Jones had a better shot than him. But Fred Jones was just as athletic as Victor Oladipo. But uh, how do you see Victor Oladipo? I know you watch him a lot more than I have.
2: Uh, winner. Uh, that's the best way to describe him. Uh, you know, he's gonna do whatever the team needs him to do, and, and he has the uh, you know I'm gonna use the terms that the kids use today. He, he has that swag to get over okay. the top. Um, And one thing you'll notice, man, if you got swag and you got confidence, that that's that gets you over the hump of say a guy that can play but is a little more reserved and laid back. So you, you know mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting to see how. He ends up down there in in Orlando, um, but you know they're another group that has a good a good young nucleus. You know with Oladipo, Mo Harkless is is a guy that you know I've told you about before. I wish I could have got him at St. Peters. I, I love him. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Tobias Harris. You know you go with those young guys and you build around that and, and uh, Nicholson, a- Andrew Nicholson being there yeah. as well. Hey, bonnet, you know the the, the Magic are you know, prepared to do things heading into, going into the future. And, uh, you know, they all got guys that bring a certain swag to the court, and I think Oladipo fits right in with that.
1: So, so am I a little off with my comparison to Fred Jones?
2: No, no, that's no, a very, very good comparison. But you know what? I also will say this. Team Fred Jones had around him coming out of Oregon didn't compare to the team that Victor Oladipo had at Indiana. You know, you, you figure, if, if you could have put the face of the Indiana program on Victor Oladipo. I think at Oregon, you know, Fred Jones had Luke Rittenauer, Aaron Jackson, those guys, you know, which kind of, those those guys were the face of the program. But if I mentioned Indiana to somebody, Oladipo is going to be the first guy that you think of. You know, if, if it makes sense what I'm saying.
1: No, it makes a lot of sense. Very true. I mean, he was... The face of that program last season, and we heard a lot about him throughout the course of last season. You talked about Ben Mac- McLemore. He dropped all the way to seven to Sacramento. A lot of people were surprised by that drop. You, you obviously believe that he could be one of the best players in this draft. Were you surprised at his drop to number seven to Sacramento?
2: Definitely surprised. And, you know, I, I don't, I didn't know if the Sacramento pick made sense. And, and no knock on McLemore. I was thinking McLemore. the same thing. Uh, I was thinking the same you know, thing. But you have, you know, Tyreek Evans, you have Isaiah Thomas, you have Jimmer Fredette. Uh, where, where does Ben McElmoore fit in? All those guys. Even
1: Marcus Thornton.
2: And, and Marcus Thornton. Exactly. All those guys need the basketball. You, you know. Um, so I, I looked at Ben Macklemore, I I honestly think it was probably one of those things where you take the best player available and not necessarily what you need. Uh, you right. know, I, I would have been good with uh, Ben Malcolmore going to the Pistons because it would fit more of what they were looking for. And, um, you know, I, I think between him and, uh, and the Pistons got a good good pick, too, and, uh, and Pope. I, I like his game a lot. But, you know, I, I think Malcolmore going to the Kings didn't really make any sense to me just because of the log jam as at that guard spot and not to say that he can't do well there but he's another guy that probably needs to be around some veterans and, you know and sacramento is not really the the most stable place that that we've seen no nah, not at all the past couple <laughs> years
1: demarcus cousins i think that's all you need to say <laughs> uh,
2: you know what man he has a chance if he can get his head on straight man he has oh, a chance man. to be one of the top power forwards in the league for the next 10 years
1: definitely he's got a lot of ability a lot of talent and then, like you said if he can only get his mind right he he's going to be <laughs> uh, uh somebody to contend with for years to come who's the steal of this draft in your opinion
2: uh the steal uh, you know what it's hard to say who who was the steal because like i told you before there wasn't no clear cut star power guy uh but you know like i said a couple minutes ago I like what the Pistons did by getting Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I mean, six-six can shoot the ball. He led the SEC in scoring, which is uh, easier said than done when you think of all the teams that are in that league. And, and he opens things up for the rest of the guys on, on, on the Pistons. You know, Brandon Knight can make a shot, but now if you close out on him, he can drive and kick and, you know, pass out to Pope for a shot. You know, now if you close out on Pope, he can drive the ball, and now you got Andre Drummond, you got Greg Monroe that you can dump off to, you know. And, and let's not forget, you know, Joe Dumars knows what he's doing. Uh, look at what he did almost eight, eight, nine years ago, putting that Pistons roster together that built the championship. You know, so he knows how to construct the roster. Um, and I just like the pick of KCP to the Pistons.
1: Well, you can argue in terms of Joe Dumars. I mean, other than that 2004 team, I mean, he did he did miss on Darko Milicic. Milicic, excuse me, he missed there. Um, yeah, and he's, yeah, no, no, he's he, been he, he a little yeah, questionable but, since. But yeah, like to your point, very, very he did true. build the Pistons. He, he did build the Pistons. I mean, I, I can't take that away from him. He did put together a championship-caliber team, a team that easily could have repeated. So he he definitely put together a a legitimate roster in Detroit. I mean, that was the last team that won a championship without a superstar, without having that true superstar. So he knows what he's doing in terms of building an actual roster from top to bottom. So to your point, I mean, Dumars definitely knows. What he's doing. We're and, talking to St. Peter's assistant coach.
2: And he's got go a ahead, good go coach now. Let's not uh, let's not forget that. I, I, I know you love their head coach that they just got. So <laughs>
1: I do love. No, I do love. Him. <laughs> I do think he got a raw deal here in Philadelphia. But it is what it is. But I mean, to your point, I think he gets. This is a great opportunity for him, especially with a young team. I think it's going to be right. a great opportunity to mold that team and, and and hopefully put together a winner in Detroit. We're talking to St. Peter's coach, assistant coach. Excuse me. Marlon Gilden, and Marlon, I want to go to twenty to the 2014 draft. A lot of people are talking about that 2014 draft. I want a shot at Andrew Wiggins as a Sixers fan, possibly Julius Randle, Jabari Parker. I want a shot at some of these guys who could be coming out in 2014. I mean, the Boston Celtics are are, are kind of doing the same thing. You've probably seen Andrew Wiggins a lot more than I have. What is, what's your thoughts on Andrew Wiggins? pro. That's the best way to put
2: it. Uh, you know, a pro, and he has what what we call the Kobe, you know, and, and that's the killer mentality. Uh, you know, the to bite your head off when he's got you down, he's going to make sure he takes you out to, to get the win. And uh, not a lot of guys have that. You know, so that's the best way to, to describe him. I, I know He's already got people up at Kansas Raven, uh, just off pickup games. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to uh, to see. But Julius Randle isn't a slouch either. You know, I, I watched those two guys battle each other last year at an AAU event. And, and you know, if, if Wiggins is, a, is one, you know, Julius Randle is, is not too far off. And
1: what about Jabari Parker? I mean, a lot of people, you know, he's on Sports Illustrated cover, and they're talking about best prospects since LeBron James. I know they've been saying that about Wiggins as well.
2: Uh, You know what? In in, in fairness to Jabari Parker, every every time I've seen him, he's kind of been hurt. You know, so I I don't really have a a clear-cut evaluation on him, you know. So I I don't want to say I'm not a fan or, or he's not as good as those other two guys. I just haven't had an extensive chance to see him
1: like I've seen those other two guys. Fair enough, fair enough. So you, you, we look at, you know, you're a Brooklyn guy, born and raised, uh-huh. East New York. Um, the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, they made some moves, bringing in a Paul Pierce, bringing in a Kevin Gardner, They're in win-now mode, Jason Kidd, new coach. I, I'm a little, you know, because the Nets, they are in win-now mode. You're bringing in a coach, Jason Kidd, fresh off the basketball court. I mean, I know the pedigree in terms of being one of the smartest players in this game, smart point guard, heads-up point guard. But uh, how do you view the Nets at this point after bringing in Garnett, bringing in Pierce, and bringing Jason Kidd in as the head coach?
2: Well, you know, obviously, like you said, it's a win-now mentality. But I'll just throw this in for a sidebar. I, I was ecstatic with with the Knicks getting Tim Hardaway Jr. made my night. Okay. And then uh, I, I got the text message that the Celtics Nets trade got approved. And you know, I'm, I'm a yeah, I'm a Brooklyn guy, but you know, I don't think I can like the Nets yet. Uh, if if okay. that makes sense. Fair enough. So it, you know, I was a little it, it ruined my night to say the least. Uh, you know, <laughs> being, being a Knicks fan. But uh, you know, you got to like the moves that that they made. And I look at it this way: somebody made a a good joke about it, about Billy King making this move, you know, if if this works out, what the Nets gave up was peanuts compared to what other teams would have given up for for Paul Pierce and and Kevin Garnett. Uh, You know, I I think they gave up like a 2017 draft pick. Well, if if the Nets win and Billy King does what he's supposed to do, he's not in Brooklyn in 2017 to make another pick anyway because he's probably moving up higher or pulling this (laughs) trade off and, and they win. So, you know, it's a smart move on, on his part. Uh, it, you know, you give up Gerald Wallace, Keith Bogans, Marshawn Brooks. You know, I know a lot of people are uh, are talking about Gerald Wallace being in this trade. I, I'll tell you what, this might backfire on the Celtics because if Gerald Wallace puts up, you know, 16, 17, 18 points a game, you might be a little happy down there in, in the Philly area getting that number one pick.
0: Because
2: I, I, if, if he averages that, I can't see the Celtics losing more games than the Sixers.
1: Right, right. And, and, and just looking at the two rosters, and we don't know what's going to happen with Ron, though you're hearing some, some whispers about whether he's going to be moved on. But if you look at the Celtics, I mean, they are also a team. I, roster-wise, you look at the roster compared to the Sixers, they are better than the Sixers on paper. And if you look at the Celtics now, they're in tank. You got to say they're they're also in in tank mode as well on some level, on some level. And I, you know, but it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting because I look at the Nets. I mean, you look at their roster. You look at their starting five. Everybody in that starting five can score. There are right. no breaks in terms of guys not being able to score. Everybody in that starting five can score the basketball. They're going to match up well against the Heat. And we'll see what the Heat, the Heat do in this offseason. Maybe they're bringing a great golden. Who knows? Maybe they have an outside shot at Andrew Bynum. I don't know. But, I mean, right. it, it's going to be interesting because the Nets, like I said, everybody in that starting five can score. But one thing I do, I will say this, with Derrick Rose coming back, with the Pacers being good, the Knicks, I think, are still going to be a solid team, the Nets and the Heat. You've got five legitimate teams in the East that can come out of the East. Right. And it's going to be great. It's great for basketball.
2: No, definitely. And you know what? If I'm the Nets, all I want to do is stay in that 4-5-6 range in the Eastern Conference. That's it. You know, getting that range, you just want to get in. And I think they have the veteran guys to know that once they get in, anything's possible, and they know how to turn it up when it's
1: time to. And I've heard some people talking about the Knicks possibly making a run at Rondo. Would you want Rondo in New York?
2: Uh. uh. If his head is on straight, I'm all for it. But, you know, from what we've been hearing and what we've seen, you know, he's a great player to be around. But there are some days when he's a ticking time bomb and you just don't know which rondo you're going to get hit. If the Knicks are going to get the rondo of a couple years ago that almost single-handedly beat the Bulls in the playoffs, I'm all for it. You know, if not, you know, you're getting this guy that – You know, wants to prove that he's the leader of the team, and you know, bickering with Pierce, bickering with Garnett, and bickering with Doc. I'd say you stay away.
1: And you can make the argument. I mean, if you can't get along with Doc Rivers, I mean, can you get along with any coach? I mean, and granted, personalities for each coach is different. You know, everybody's got different personalities, so you know, who knows? But I mean, it should be very interesting, especially Rondo, possibly in a losing situation with the Boston Celtics. So that's truly going to be interesting. Marlon, you're on a recruiting trail. You're happy with what you've done to this point?
2: Yeah, no, definitely happy with it. Um looking forward to uh, what we have coming back next year. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's championship or bust, but, you know, it's, it's pretty close, you know, for us, for the mentality yeah. we have coming in, the uh, the vibe around, the team is different. Everybody's looking forward to this upcoming season. And, you know, it's just a matter of waiting to see what happens.
1: Marlon, I know you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter?
2: Uh, mguild 83 is my handle. So, you know, follow me. I'll definitely follow you back.
1: Fans, support this great man. Go to his Twitter. Support him. He does oh, yeah. follow back. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Appreciate your insight. And let's do this again.
2: No, no problem, man. As always, thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks. Bye
1: bye. Marlon Guild, St. Peter's assistant coach. I mean, laying it down, telling us all we need to know about the NBA draft, and he talked about the Boston Celtics. I mean, the Boston Celtics, the Sixers, in tank mode, and you know, I don't want to say tank mode, but that's not necessarily fair, but. I will say that both of those teams obviously in rebuilding situations. They're blowing their teams up and after, you know. And the Celtics, I think it's it's about time. I mean, I think that that team is going as far as they can. They tried to retool. It just wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to get by the Miami Heat, and that's always a going to be a tall order for any team and anybody moving forward. Second hour go for it starting now. Go forward, starting now in this hour. We're going to be joined by Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has a great book out, game changer. And, and this is a guy, a devout Christian, a guy who, who, who lives a, a very moral lifestyle, lives, lives a very good lifestyle, and uh, a guy who's, who's going to sh- share some of his experiences in, in terms of how he avoids temptation, in terms of uh, his role models in terms of what he does to stay spiritually uh, and emotionally grounded and rooted. So we're going to talk to Kirk Cousins about his great book out game changer, which is in stores right now. Also, I'm going to go now to back. I'm going to go back to the NFL and in going back to the NFL. I got to talk about these arrests. I mean, he's, these guys, you know, acting a fool in the off season, acting a fool in the off season. I mean, guys who can't stay out of trouble. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have been getting themselves in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. And we're going to go through a bunch of players who were arrested back in 2013. A lot of players who were arrested in twenty thirteen we're going to go through and we're going to talk about some of these players. Bleacher Report compiled a list of some of the players who have been arrested in twenty thirteen and it's you know it's sad I mean guys with a lot of money, guys with a lot of success, and again, money doesn't necessarily change who you are as a person. If you're a bad person without money, you're probably going to be a worse person with money. You're a good person without money, you're probably going to be hopefully a good person with money. So, you know, money magnifies who you are. Let's go. January 4th, Robert Sands, uh, who was waived actually by the Cincinnati Bengals, arrested for assault. You got the Oakland Raiders, Rolando McLean, who was eventually signed by, released by the Raiders, eventually signed by the Ravens, and he also retired. I mean, he had issue with disorderly conduct, resistant arrest, arrested two times. You got Chris Rainey uh, arrested. Simple battery for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You got another guy arrested. Andre Smith, possession of a handgun at an airport. What are you doing with a handgun at an airport? You got Jay Ratliff for the Dallas Cowboys. DWI, hire a driver. Hire a driver to drive you home. If you know you're going to get your drink on, hire a driver. Leroy Hill, charged with domestic violence, uh, January 29th. Michael Bailey, child abuse, February 8th. You have Daquan Bowers, arrested, second-degree weapon possession, gun in an airport luggage. What are you doing with a gun at an airport? Why? Why? Desmond Bryant, who actually signed a five-year, $5 $34 million deal with the Cleveland Browns, this guy, arrested February 24th, criminal mischief. Jamarcus Webb, and these charges were later dropped on uh, against Jamarcus Webb, but he was arrested for possession of marijuana. But, again, charges were dropped. You got Arizona. Uh, Arizona. <clears throat> Javaris James, Brother Edgar and James, arrested, failure to appear for a court date, March 7th. You got Quentin Carter, committing a fraudulent act in a gaming establishment. That's essentially what? Cheating at a casino? Public intoxic- intoxication excuse me, for Cody Grimm, March 10th and March 29th, 28th. Guy needs to go home when he drinks. Evan Rodriguez, resistant arrest, without violence, disorderly conduct, and a DUI, March 21st and May 31st, arrested two times, two dates, cut by the Bears, later picked up by the Dolphins. Tremaine Johnson, DUI, St. Louis Rams, Tremaine, hire a driver. Please hire a driver. Brandon Barden, undrafted out of Vanderbilt in 2012, DUI. Driver, Amari Spivey, third degree to assault, risk of injury to a child and disorderly conduct. Quentin Groves, solicitation. William Moore, simple battery. Ronald Lewis, public intoxication, disturbing the peace, interference with the process. Marijuana possession, Cliff Harris, what are you doing? Possession of marijuana, Claude Davis, what are you doing? DUI, Armante Bryant, what are you doing? Hire a driver. You get the point. You get the point. Of course, Titus Young. This guy was what? Rested twice in one day. Rested three times in a week. Get help. Please, get help. That's all you can say to that. Just get help, and hopefully, he is getting the help that he needs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Guys, Jason Peters, street racing, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're street racing. What are you doing? I don't even. I'm not even talking about from an NFL perspective and knowing your job and everything. I'm talking about just for a safety pers- perspective. You're street racing. What are you doing? You can get yourself all messed up. Street racing. What are you doing? Drag racing. You can hurt yourself and somebody else. What are you doing? All you can say to that is, grow up. I see Walcott, attempted murder. Allegedly, he punched somebody outside of a club, put him in the hospital. Of course, Aaron Hernandez. Josh Brent. Oh, gosh. Josh Brent. Oh, gosh. This was a guy, you know, we all know the story. Intoxicated, charged with intoxicated manslaughter. Car crash, killed his friend, his best friend, Jerry Brown. Guy has failed multiple drug tests at this point. I mean, he's out. He's out. And he's, and he's failing drug tests. Adam Bell, failing drug tests. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is a guy I had a lot of sympathy for, still do have a lot of sympathy for him. But, I, I mean, I, but what am I supposed to do now at this point, man? This guy, failing drug tests. Failing drug tests. You're out on bail. You're lucky to still have a job with the Dallas Cowboys. You're lucky to still have a job. Still have a job. You're fortunate enough to still have a job with the Dallas Cowboys. They're sticking by you. Sticking by you. You failed not only one drug test, not one, but two drug tests. You can't stop smoking weed at this point. You you can't stop smoking weed at this point. And I understand these bodies. These are young guys, and I understand that a lot of these guys are making a lot of money for the first times in their lives. I understand. I understand. But with great power comes great responsibility. With a lot of money comes a lot of responsibility. You have to be responsible for your actions, you cannot be driving drunk, beating up people, you can't be doing all this stuff, hire a driver, you make money, you know you're getting your drink on, hire a driver, he will get you home safe, without problems, without getting arrested, if you want a drink, hire a driver, if that's what you're into, hire a driver, no one is not going to knock you for drinking. I'm not going to knock you for drinking, but you need to hire a driver. I'm going to knock you if you get if you get caught with a DUI, a DWI. I'm going to knock you because there are some serious things that can happen. Josh Brent, Exhibit A of what can happen when you drive drunk. These guys need to grow up. They need to understand the magnitude of their actions. They need to understand the platforms that they have. They need to understand what and who they are. I know they're no different than anybody else. I I, I get that. I I, I get that. I mean, there are a lot of people who have done a lot of the same things these guys have done, but they just didn't get caught. A lot of people who've done the same exact things, that these guys have done, they just haven't gotten caught. A lot of people have done these things in college. A lot of people outside of college. A lot of people out here smoke weed on a on a consistent daily basis, haven't gotten caught. A lot of people. There, there's no doubt about that. A lot of people. There are a lot of people who do who, who drive drunk and get away with it. A lot of people. Doesn't make them right. Doesn't make it less dangerous doesn't even make it less stupid. It's just they haven't gotten caught. There are a lot of people who have done a lot of bad things and who haven't gotten caught. Here's the thing. Don't put yourself in a position where you could get caught. And the people who haven't gotten caught may have, may have not gotten caught just yet. So... The point I'm trying to make is, you know, obviously we can say the NFL has problems, but, and, you know, the, the the reality is also is, you know, you can understand how some of these guys can get themselves jammed up because a lot of times the, you, you guys start thinking they're above the law. Guys start thinking that they can get away with certain things and do certain things because of their stature, because of their position in life, because of how much money they have. And you know, it it's and, and guys start thinking that they're above the law. Guys start thinking that they are what they are and they can do what they can do and they can do whatever they want to do. And don't you ever think for a second that you're invincible because you're not. In the moment you start thinking that you're invincible, that's the time you start getting yourself in trouble. Because you start doing things. You start testing fate, if you will doing things to test fate. You test fate too many times, eventually fate will get you. It'll bite you in the butt. Don't test fate. And you're driving drunk, you're testing fate. You're smoking weed, you're testing fate. It's illegal. Whether you should be legalized or whether it shouldn't be legalized, it's still illegal. It's still an illegal substance. Illegal substance. Still is. So whether you're driving drunk, whether you're smoking weed, you don't need to be doing that. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. You, if you're going to get drunk, please hire a driver. It's that simple. And you know, Roger Goodell over the years has come down hard against these guys for misbehaving. I mean, he's done. He's come down hard on them. I don't think there's anything else he can do. I don't know what else he can do. I don't know what else he can do at this point. And, you know, speaking of, you know, some more stupidity from an NFL player, alleged stupidity at this point, but according to Yahoo Sports, Eagles running back Bryce Brown, some of his dogs have been seized and suspected of dog fighting training. Some. Some, 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 some. And according to Philadelphia Inquirer, Inquirer excuse me, a pit bull and her seven puppies that belong to Eagles running back Bryce Brown were among animals seized in a suspected dog fighting operation in Wisconsin. Judge ordered Friday that Brown's dogs be returned to him. Brown's lawyers argued he is a victim in his case. There were 27 dogs seized, and the other 19 remain in custody. And, you know, apparently he said his dogs to be bred by Northland Pits in February. And, you know, and still, we'll see what happens with this whole story. But he did get the dogs back, and and maybe he was not fighting them, but, I mean, why? It's a lot of dogs to have. I mean, there's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of dogs. Brown says he's a victim. You know, he he didn't know what was going on. I don't know. Apparently, people have seen Bryce Brown and his wife walking dogs in a neighborhood in Philadelphia. So, maybe... Maybe, maybe he's not involved. Hopefully, he's not involved. Hopefully. Hopefully. Seven puppies, pit bulls, seven puppies, a lot of dogs. Maybe he's selling them, I don't know. Hopefully, he's not fighting them. Hopefully, he's not fighting them, but his dogs are actually seized from a kennel, which is suspected of dogfighting. Hopefully he learns from his teammate. This is not the way to go. Please, please, please. If anybody hasn't learned from Mike Vick's story, please learn from it. Learn from it. But hopefully Bryce Brown is not involved in any type of dogfighting. But guys need to learn how to act. And I don't know what you can do. I mean, you can do rookie symposiums with the NFL. You can do a bunch of them, bring people in. Pac-Man Jones bringing a Maurice Colarret tell them their stories i mean but the at the end of the day i don't really know if you can really truly you can do what you can do and i think the nfl has done what they can do at this point to try to limit off the field conduct but you you can only do so much at some point guys have to take personal responsibility for what they do and you know it is incumbent upon the team to do some things and to, to try to help these players to put them in position to be successful, but again, you can't watch somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week. At some point, a man has to be a man, and a man has to do what a man has to do. And hopefully, what a man has to do is feed his family, and do the right things, follow the law, and and be successful. I mean, you know, that's what you got to do. And it can be difficult to be successful. It can be. It's very difficult to be successful. It's very difficult sometimes if you stay out of trouble especially if you come from certain environments. I mean, Aaron Hernandez, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, some connected with, uh, you know, has some kind of gang affiliations and, you know, things of that nature. And speaking of Aaron Hernandez, I lived in Bristol, Connecticut, for six years. I didn't think there were a bunch of Bristol thugs running around. I mean, Carlos Ortiz from Bristol, guy arrested, has a possible connection to the Aaron Hernandez situation. Aaron Hernandez from Bristol. I mean, I didn't know Bristol was that hard. I mean, I lived in Bristol. You know, I rode my bike in Bristol late at night, multiple occasions, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, riding my bike home. I didn't have a car at the time, working at ESPN. I rode my bike home in Bristol, Connecticut late at night. Um, I, I guess if I would have known what I know now, maybe I wouldn't have been doing that. But I, I rode my bike at home, rode my bike home 2, 3 o'clock in the morning in Bristol, Connecticut. I mean, that's what I did. And, you know, judging by what I'm hearing now, some of these Bristol Dugs running around, possibly Aaron Hernandez, Carlos Ortiz, I mean, some of these guys running around may not have been a good idea for me to be riding my bike in Bristol 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Probably not a good idea. But I survived. I made it. It is what it is. But, I, I mean, I never viewed Bristol, Connecticut as the hood I don't think it is the hood It's a nice place to live actually Nice and quiet Lived there for six years Quiet place Nice place to live Decent community I felt safe in Bristol You know I, I felt safe I didn't feel like I was in the hood Quote unquote the hood I didn't feel like I, I You know Was in a bad neighborhood Or in a bad situation Living around bad people I, I didn't feel that way at all And you know One person Or a couple of people Don't, don't spoil the whole bunch, but I mean, you know, there obviously are Bristol thugs running around, and there's Bristol, there's thugs in every walk of life, in every community, and, you know, all, not all communities are good, and there's some corporate thugs, you know, there's there's thugs that you wouldn't even think they were thugs, corporate thugs, you got white-collar thugs, you got blue-collar thugs, all different type of thugs, thugs don't look one certain way, they don't do only one different type of thing, they don't beat up and shoot, and Thugs do other things as well. There are some corporate thugs out here, who are, who, are, who are doing corporate thuggery, if you will. So, uh, there are thugs in all walks of life. Let's be clear about that, and uh, you know, let's let's put that out here. I'm going to go to the NBA now, and uh, <clears throat> Dwight Howard and his situation. Dwight Howard, you know, he, he's saying, you know what? Sources are saying that Dwight Howard is not going back to L.A. Maybe he'll explore Houston. Maybe he'll explore Dallas. He's not going back to L.A., according to some sources. And I look at the situation with Dwight Howard and the Lakers. If he leaves the Lakers, the Lakers are going to be in a very, very tough situation. Dwight Howard is gone. Steve Nash is old and is breaking down as we speak. Kobe Bryant coming off a major Achilles injury a major Achilles injury and you know the, the Lakers are putting up billboards GM telling them that he cares about them you know Dwight Howard is going to do what Dwight Howard is going to do and Dwight Howard is going to decide what he's going to do and he said he's going to decide by july 10th so july 10th according to dwight howard i don't know if that's necessarily a good idea to put a date on things because you can be your you have proven over the years to be a fickle guy a, a guy who changes opinions from time to time so i don't know if it's a good idea for you to put a date on it but if dwight howard said july 10th he will decide where he will go um I look at the other situation, look at the situation in Dallas, I look at the situation in Houston, and those those situations are better than the situation in LA. I mean again, Nash broke down. Mike D'Antoni's his system really is not geared to, to, to a big man. I mean Mike D'Antoni, his system and when he's had success with his system, it's been small ball. Dwight Howard is not small. You're not gonna play small ball with Dwight Howard. You know, so got Kobe Bryant Coming off a major injury, 34, 35 years old at this point, 17 years in the league, you know the, the tread off those tires are coming off left and right. The tread on those tires are, are are not what they once were. And so you look at it, you look at it, and you wonder now if you're Dwight Howard, what situation is better? To me. Obviously the glitz and glam of LA is it's it's can get you a lot. Obviously you can make more money with the the Lakers. Probably on and off the court. Definitely on and definitely off probably off the court. A lot of money to be had for Dwight Howard. Off the court in LA. A lot of money to be had. But you look at it. You look at it. Dwight Howard is a guy who obviously over the years has been a fickle type of guy. He's been a guy who who makes his mind up and then changes it. Makes his mind up and changes it. And he's been known to do that over the years. Excuse me. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And I'm sitting here looking at the tax implications for Dwight Howard. And in comparison, if he would sign with the Houston Rockets, in comparison with the Los Angeles Lakers, and I'm just looking strictly at taxes. And when it's all said and done, after taxes, after taxes, just breaking it down in total, the net wages for dwight howard in l a would be fifty nine million. The net wages for dwight Howard in Houston would be fifty, so theoretically he would be leaving roughly about nine million dollars on the table, nine million dollars on the table if he were to go to Houston instead of l a and a lot of money. $9 million is a lot of money to leave on the table. And you also have to, to to count in there the endorsement possibilities of being in L.A., being in Hollywood. You have to say that would favor being in L.A. instead of Houston. But, you know, in terms of winning, I think it's better situations in Houston or Dallas. I really do. I really think it's a better situation in Houston than it is in, in, in L.A. And Let's look at year by year breakdown. You look at it year by year, twenty three million point twenty three point six million in twenty thirteen he would make with the Lakers. This is after taxes. Twenty one point nine he would make with Houston. Twenty one point nine he would make in Houston with twenty and so you look at it, twenty three point six million he would make per year in LA from twenty thirteen to twenty seventeen. In Houston he would get a four year deal um and in Houston because he wouldn't be able to get that fifth year in Houston, he would make 21.9 million per year. So it's a difference of what, about two million per year that he would be missing out on if he would have stayed. If he would stay in LA, and of course he wouldn't have that fifth year that he would have with the Lakers. But again, again, if you're Dwight Howard, his net wages actually would be more. He would be netting more money. Um, and this is according to AccountingWeb.com. He would be netting more money per year in Houston. Obviously, he wouldn't get that fifth year that he would get in LA, but it would be enough. Well, I mean, it would be, he's making what? Look at—I don't have the math off the top of my head, but again, he, he's making. There is a difference of about uh, you know about six hundred thousand per year difference. More that he would be getting in Houston per year than he would be getting in LA and this is all of the, because of the tax implications, it's more state tax. He's going to have to pay more state tax in L.A. than he had, than he would have to pay in Houston, in Texas. So the money, I think obviously he would make more money obviously off the court in L.A., but, I mean, if you look at it just on court, it's, it's kind of a wash. It's close to being a wash in a lot of ways, and that's very interesting. That's very interesting. and You wonder if if that's in the back of the mind of Dwight Howard. But, I mean, if he goes to a situation like Houston and he's winning championships and and things of that nature, people are going to talk about him. People are going to want him to endorse their products. So you look at it in that sense, I think it's kind of almost almost a no-brainer that he signs with the Houston Rockets. I think it would be a no brainer to sign with the Houston Rockets or the Dallas Mavericks teams who, who just have better teams surrounding him and who have less uncertainty. I mean, you know, he goes to Houston, he's with James Harden, he goes to Dallas, he's with Dirk Nowitzki. So <clears throat> he's in a good spot and a good situation if he signs with a team in, in, in Texas. He's in a good spot, a very good spot. We'll see what decision he makes, but Dwight Howard's a fickle guy. He can go back and forth, forth and back, and we'll know, we'll never know what decision he'll make and where he will go. I want to go back to the Boston Celtics now, and this is a team who, after a trade, and we're, we're still in terms of the, the parts involved in this deal, still kind of fluid at this point, but at this point we're hearing Chris Humphries, Reggie Evans, Gerald Wallace, Keith Bogans, um, Chris Joseph, three future first-round draft picks from the Nets, and they would be giving up Garnett, Pierce, and Jason Terry. Um, the Boston Celtics, you remember uh, a few years back when with Ainge and, and what he did in order to put the big three together that we saw in Boston in 2008 that ultimately won a title. What he did back in uh, 2007 was, you know, he started to compile assets and he put assets together. I mean, he he started to put assets together on his team. You know, you look at that 2006-2007 roster. Al Jefferson, a guy who was a big-time back-to-the-basket player. You know, Ryan Gomes, a decent bench guy. Gerald Green, a guy with some ability, but obviously we're we're not saying he's a big-time player. But he he was he was putting together assets. I mean, he had Rondo on his team back in 2006-2007. He had Pierce as well, and that that made the transition uh, a lot easier. He had Kendrick Perkins on the team, but you look at and what he's doing now; he, he's doing a similar thing in terms of compiling assets and you know getting draft picks. And maybe at some point he decides whether he keeps Rondo or not, or maybe he trades Rondo along too. But I mean, maybe he, he he'll build around the Jeff Green and a, and a Rondo, and you know do what he did back in 2007, and that is. You know, trade away parts in order to get guys that he needs. In order to get championship caliber players, you know, Al Jefferson begot um, Al Jefferson begot Kevin Garnett, and the number fifth pick in the draft begot Ray Allen, and that put together the big three. So what he did was parlayed pieces and used those pieces to get a championship caliber team, and he did it kind of quickly. A lot of people were saying, what is Danny Ainge doing? What is he doing? What exactly is he doing? And we figured it out what he was doing. And what he did was was put together assets, and he parlayed those assets to Pierce. I mean, not to Pierce, to Garnett. Parlayed those assets into Garnett and to Ray Allen, and that ultimately became the big three. And he just added supplementary pieces, James Posey's of the world, P.J. Brown, he was big. And he put those pieces together, ultimately – to win a title and have success for a very long period of time, back-to-back appearances in the NBA Finals. So he—that's what he did. Not back-to-back appearances. I'm sorry, that was not back-to-back appearances. But they ultimately got to the finals two, two of the last three years. Well, two of the, uh, two out of three years. 2010 they got back. Went to went to the finals 2008, 2009. I believe it went out in the first round to the Bulls. And then back in 2010, they go back to the NBA Finals unexpectedly, of course. That was the year they beat LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, but an unexpected run at that point for the Boston Celtics. But, you know, they have had success. And that was because Danny Ainge was able to use the pieces that he had, parlayed those pieces into championship-caliber pieces, which ultimately led to championship success, success for the Boston Celtics. New coach is going to be in Boston, Glenn Doc Rivers, off to Clipperland, and maybe he can change the culture with the Clippers, and, you know, maybe the Clippers, and, you know, a lot of people get on Donald Sterling for, for being cheap and, and so on and so forth, but at all, some of the guys that he let go really didn't turn out to be anything special anywhere else. So, in a lot of ways, we can kind of, Vindicate, and validate Donald Sterling, because some of the piece, a lot of pieces that he let go really didn't turn into anything. Remember, you know, I believe it was, uh, I forgot, it was the ESPN magazine? And it was Lamar Odom, Corey Maggette, Keon Dooling, might even Quentin Richardson as well. And ultimately, all those guys were let go. Did any of those guys turn into anything special anywhere? The other than Lamar Odom, who was who had success, but did any of those guys really do anything special? Not really, no. So, you know, we, we can question Donald Sterling all we want, but at the end of the day, you have Michael Old Candy as well. And he started, Michael Old Candy started to blossom a little bit, but again, did, did anybody really, really miss any of those pieces that he let go? Did any of those pieces really turn into anything special? No, not at all. Elton Brand, you know, ultimately he signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. Was he a, was he a max player? He made a lot of money with the Sixers. Was he really that? No, not at all. So give the Clippers a lot of credit. They know what they're doing. On some level, you got to give them credit. They know what they're doing. I want to go back to the NFL now and we're about them a guy who's uh, got a new book out, Game Changer, in stores now. And, and this guy, uh, backup quarterback for the Washington Redskins, Kirk Cousins. And, you know, obviously his opportunity, if he wants to be a starter in the NFL – it's not going to come with the Redskins as long as RG3 is healthy, as long as RG3 is performing at the highest of levels. It's not going to happen. But Kirk Cousins has come off the bench, last, came off the bench last season, and had some success, had some success against the Browns. He I mean, played some decent football over the course of last season, had some success against the Ravens as well. So he definitely has done some things in the NFL, he's, A guy, faith is very important to this guy, very important to him, and he outlines those things in his new book, Game Changer. Let's bring him in now, Redskins quarterback and author of a new book, Game Changer,
3: Kirk Cousins. Kirk, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
1: Kirk, I heard you say the other day that you believe RG3, Robert Griffin III, will be ready week one. Talk about the progress he has made to this point.
3: Well, I feel like, uh, you know, Robert's healing up really well. I think he's looking really good in his workout end of uh, OTAs and mini camps. He was looking really good. And um, I expect him at some point in training camps to come back healthy. But uh, at the same time, I'm uh, taking advantage of the opportunities I'm getting to, to get better and get reps and just hoping to uh, be ready if called upon at whatever point that comes this year, if it does at all.
1: Obviously, you want to be a starter in this league. But as long as RG3 is healthy, it's probably not going to happen. Is it
3: difficult at times to stay patient? I think patience is the name of the game for me, and it's not always easy to be patient, but um, that's what I need to do. And it's growing me as a person. It's teaching me a lot about life, that you've got to wait your turn sometimes. And I had to do it at Michigan State, so it's not the first time I've done it. But certainly I'd like to play in this league and be a starter for a team and be more of a difference maker than I currently am as a backup. But, Um, The situation I'm in is I'm in Washington, D.C., and I can't control that I ended up here, but I can control how I play when I'm here. And that could lead me to an opportunity to start somewhere else. So I'm doing all I can right now to work hard and control that, control that which I can control and become the best quarterback I can be and and, uh, come what may, whatever happens.
1: Kirk, you stepped into some games last season for the Redskins and you had some success. How difficult is it to come into a game and have to perform at the highest of levels.
3: Yeah, I think there are a few challenges with it. First of all, being a, a rookie, you just it's your first time in the league, first time going through a season, so that alone is challenging. And then, as a backup, you don't get any reps during the week of practice with the number one offense, so it's tough having not repped a lot of the plays live against the defense. Uh, it's tough to just step in and start running them to perfection. And then you factor in the the, the normal reality of a backup is that you've been standing around for a long time on the sideline. so it's tough to just jump into a game, but Again, that's the that's the, the three-headed monster of being a backup, and um, the ones who can handle that, that challenge and step up and, and get the job done are the ones who end up being starters down the road, and uh, that's the job I'm looking to do.
1: We're talking to Redskins quarterback and now author of the new book Game Changer, Kirk Cousin. You guys won the NFC East last season and had a great opportunity to beat the Seahawks. Whether it's you or RG3 at quarterback, do you feel like you guys can take that next step and make a Super Bowl run.
3: Well, I think that's certainly the goal of every team when the season starts out is to be the last one standing at the end of the year and um Coach Shanahan has done an excellent job in his years in Washington DC piecing together the kind of team that he wants and I think he's excited about the group that he's brought together and I know there's a lot of excitement in the fan base and, and even within the building among the team, being that, you know, as rookies last year at the quarterback position, at the running back position, along with some new free agents last year having another year of experience under our belts going into the 2013 season, uh, really the expectations are even higher than last year. So I think winning the division is always a goal and getting to the playoffs, but then making a a push in the playoffs is certainly what we're going to strive for this year. But it doesn't happen all at once. We've got to do it one at a time, win one game at a time, and and hopefully we can be there in the end.
1: Kurt, I heard you say at one point you felt like you were taking the game too serious, and then watching RG3, it kind of helped you take the edge off. Tell us about that.
3: Well, yeah, Roberts, um, you know, got got an approach to the game that I think is is great to follow in terms of the way that he uh, keeps things loose. He he doesn't seem to ever put too much pressure on himself, and as much as other people may place pressure on him, he doesn't let it get to him. And those are all things that I can that I can learn from. I don't think I've ever failed in those regards, but at the same time, it's fun to watch a guy who really enjoys playing the game and doesn't let the pressure get to him and to see that you can still play at a high level, even when you're not being necessarily as serious as other guys. And I think that's, that's a great quality that uh, I hope to to pick up from and, and get better with. But um, at the same time, i got to stay true to myself, which is probably a, a little more serious. But uh, I also enjoy having fun and playing the game, and I can learn a lot from Robert along those lines.
1: We're talking to Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Cousin. You have a new book out, Game Changer. What was the inspiration behind the book?
3: Well, this book started out of the Big Ten luncheon speech that I gave back in 2011, and uh, the content of that speech about privilege and responsibility rather than entitlement um, ended up drawing over 300,000 views on YouTube, and, and it really went a lot further than I thought it would ever go. And as a result, I was presented with the opportunity to write a book and basically expand upon the content of that talk and put it into several chapters and and make it a book. And so I jumped at that opportunity just because of the positive impact that I knew this book could have on young people and helping them make the right kind of decisions that will set them up for success in life. And so I put together this book entitled Game Changer, thinking that the principles and the foundational truths that this book is all about have been game-changing in my life and have made all the difference both on and off the football field for me. And it's those principles that I believe more than anything have got me to the NFL. So the game-changing way that those principles uh, played a role in my life is is what derived the title Game Changer.
1: In the book, you talk about the surprise of getting drafted by the Redskins. Take us through that process.
3: Yeah, it was a um, unique unique thing to be drafted by a team that wasn't really on my radar in any way. But um, I think it was a compliment from the Redskins. The fact that they would draft me in such a odd fashion showed that they did think highly of me, and uh, the opportunity to play under Coach Shanahan and learn from RG three or are things that I really take advantage of right now and I'm very thankful for. And um, At the time, I was a little bit disappointed that I wouldn't be going to a team where I would have the chance to compete to start, but now I can look back and see that uh, it may have been a very good thing for me to develop as a quarterback behind Robert and to learn about what it means to be in the NFL and then hopefully, um, once I've learned for a few years, maybe get a chance to start somewhere else. But time will tell, and I'm very content right now with my role, just trusting that, that God has a plan and that um, if I do my job on the field, I think good things can happen.
1: We're talking to Redskins quarterback and now author of the new book, Game Changer, Kirk Cousins. Kirk, your faith is a big part of who you are. The NFL life is a fast life with a lot of temptation. How does one stay grounded and rooted in their faith in this fast-paced
3: lifestyle? Well, I talk about this in my book. I think that it goes back to surrounding yourself with the right kind of people, choosing friends that are going to help you walk the way you want to walk, and not choosing friends who are going to cause you to drift from from where you came from. At the same time, finding role models and good examples to follow, and, and identifying who those people are, and then getting behind them and learning from them. And um, I also think, you know, spiritually practicing the disciplines of prayer and getting in the Bible, doing those kinds of things, I think are going to help keep me grounded and stay focused. But at the same time, I want to enjoy uh, the opportunities I have with the NFL and, and not be too uptight or, or uh, you know, fail to just be one of the guys. I want to be one of the guys and enjoy being a teammate.
1: Kirk, is there a particular Bible verse or scripture that you go to before a big game? that inspires you?
3: Yeah, there is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a is a verse that I've really held on to and considered to be my life verse, and it's really uh, been a major role in my football career, but um, that verse is sort of the underlying theme of the entire book. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. And um, that's the message I want to give to young people, and a message that I had to remind myself of many, many times when I had setbacks in my football career, that God has a plan for each each and every one of our lives, and He's trying to do something special in it, and we just need to trust him, walk with him, lean on him, not on ourselves. And when we give control over to him and let him take control and obey him, uh, he can do marvelous things with our lives.
1: The thing about faith and having faith is believing in the unknown, believing in something you don't see. At this point, you are back up to RG3, and you have the belief that one day
3: your opportunity will come. How do you keep the faith? Well, I think that's why faith is a challenging thing and why it's difficult for people, including me, is because it is believing in what you can't see and you don't know what's going to happen next. But what I can do is I can look back and see how God has been faithful all these years leading me to where I am. And when I can see the evidence of his faithfulness year in and year out through my past, I can look forward with confidence knowing that if he's been faithful in the past and he hasn't failed me yet, he's given me no reason to think that he suddenly would fail me now. So... I look back to the past to trust him for the future and I think that uh, God will be faithful and he will accomplish his plans as long as I stay near him.
1: You talk about the importance of of uh, surrounding yourself with good people. Talk about some of the role models in your
3: life. Well, in the book I talk about a specific role model named Justin Kershaw who was a great example to me at Michigan State and you have the obvious role models like, you know, God and Jesus and then also like your parents, you know, my dad and mom played a major role in in uh, developing me and giving me an example to follow. And then you have high school coaches and college coaches. But Justin Kershaw, who I talk about in the book, was a phenomenal example of of what it meant to lead like Jesus, what it meant to serve your teammates. And he really laid the the framework for me as to how I should be a leader on the football team. And I think his example had a major impact on me being able to have success on and off the football field in my days at Michigan State.
1: The book Game Changer, in stores now, how can fans – find this great book?
3: Well, the book's been on sale on Amazon now, Amazon.com, for, for uh, several weeks, and it just today officially became available on uh, in, in bookstores everywhere, and um, also my website, KirkCousins.org. Uh, you can find out information there, and if you follow me on Twitter at KirkCousins8, you can find out information there, but uh, certainly Amazon's the spot if those other spots don't work. How excited
1: are you now? I mean, you put a lot of work in and you got this book out. How excited are you about this book?
3: Yeah, it's been a lot of hard work. It's been over a year's worth of work to get to this point to be able to release the book. And, uh, more than anything, the reason I did it was to be able to positively impact young people. And so finally, the time has come to put the books in the hands of people and let them read it and hopefully let it impact their lives. And that's what it's all about. That's why I wrote the book. And, um, I'm hoping to really make a difference in, in, in young adults and in youth, uh, through the writing of this book.
1: The book is Game Changer. The author is Redskins Quarterback. Kirk Cousins. Kirk, pleasure talking to you, man. We wish you nothing but the best of luck with this book and nothing but the best of luck during the season. Let's do this again.
3: Thank you. My pleasure. We'll talk to you later. We
1: talk about... And we had some technical difficulties there, but we talk about over the year. We talked about some of the negative things that have transpired over these weeks, over uh, with these NFL players over the past few days. You had the situation there with uh, Aaron Hernandez, of course, some of these other players who've gotten arrested. But 30 years ago today, Joe Delaney, former Chiefs running back, Joe Delaney did what many would not do. Joe Delaney was a guy. And let's be clear about something. He couldn't swim. He had three kids of his own. He could not swim. Three little girls he had. He cannot swim. And he sees three little boys drowning. Let me reiterate, he can't swim. He cannot swim. And he goes in there, and he tries to save them. He saved one. He could only save one of the three boys. Him and two others would die. And it's to me, you know, you you look at the whole situation with, with Joe Delaney and everything, you got to say kudos to him. I mean, you got to give him the utmost respect for what he did. What he did was was just you got to respect it. I mean, this is a guy who couldn't it's not like he's he's a world-class swimmer. It's not like he could swim at all period. He couldn't swim and he went in and saved tried to save three boys again. Three boys that were not related to him. Three boys who were in a lot of ways weren't related and they do know. Him. He tried to save their lives. He tried to save their lives. And it's you can only just clap your hands applaud and just give kudos to this guy because he he did what many would not do he did what many would not do and he did it because he cares about people he cares about the human population there are not many people out here who have this type of heart. There are not many people out here who would do that type of thing. they are not. And I think if we are be honest with ourselves, we have to question whether we would do what Joe Delaney did. I would have to look myself in the mirror and question whether or not, because I can't swim. So I would have to question whether or not I would do what Joe Delaney did. He reacted. He reacted. And that's why I applaud this man. Thirty years ago today, it happened, 1983. Thirty years ago, and I remember it. You know, seven years all the time, but I've always remembered this story. Very telling story, and I gotta give him a lot of kudos for what he did. It's 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 an, it's, it's an amazing thing. We can we can applaud people for what they do on the field, and some of the heights that they clear on the field and some of the things and amazing things they do on the field, on the court, on the hockey rink, on the baseball diamond. But at the end of the day, stories like Joe Delaney's, these are the guys we truly should applaud. These are the true heroes of the world. This is a heroic thing that he did many years ago. It was heroic. It was heroic what he did. Some can argue it was stupid because he couldn't swim, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call it stupid whatsoever. I'm going to call it heroic. It, it, it's amazing that a guy who could not swim went in and tried to save three boys who were fighting for their lives, who was drowning. That is a selfless act, a selfless act, and an act that should be applauded. Don't forget the story. If you want to read more about it, Google it. Joe Delaney. Interesting story. 30 years ago today, he tried to save the lives of three young boys, and this is a man who could not swim, tried to save the lives of three young boys who were drowning. And let me put it out there, let me reiterate, this man could not swim. But when you hear all the stories about Aaron Hernandez and some of these NFL guys getting arrested and some of these players doing just stupid things, stupid, stupid, dumb things, you look at the story, of Joe Delaney, and you have to applaud. You have to really, really, just really, really give thanks to this man for what he did because that's an amazing, amazing selfless act on his part. I want to go back to the NBA. And Dirk Nowitzki says he hates the Miami Heat. This is his quote. In life, I really don't hate much. I'm an easy going guy, but that's probably about as close as it gets. He doesn't like the Miami Heat and you can't blame him. Two thousand and six the Miami Heat beat his Dallas Mavericks in the two thousand and six NBA finals and the Mavericks were up too well and Dwayne Wade did the unthinkable, just went crazy and ultimately they got the victory. But he got revenge back in two thousand eleven on Dwayne Wade. This time he beat up on LeBron James and Chris Bosch and they ultimately won that series in six, a series that I predicted the Mavericks will win in six, by the way. But just throwing that out there, not, you know, don't mean to slap myself on the back, but it is what it is. But, you know, he hates the Heat. He says he's close to hating the Heat, close to hating the Heat. And I guess he's going to hate Ray Allen as well, because Ray Allen exercises player option. He will be back with the Miami Heat 2013-2014 season. He will be back with the Miami Heat so I guess he hates Ray Allen as well hates him he hates all of the Miami doesn't like the Miami Heat does not like the Miami Heat so I guess he hates him as well Ray Allen meaning and so should be interesting so it happens once this NBA season actually comes to fruition it just ended by the way and it's You're you're getting excited for this free agency. You're getting excited for everything. You're getting excited for a lot of things with the NBA because a lot of moves have been made and a lot of players are going to be in different places, which is going to possibly sway the competitive balance in the National Basketball Association, the NBA. And speaking of the NBA, we saw the last of David Stern at the NBA drafts. And Javis Stern was loving it up, telling the fans to boo him, that having a good old time. And, you know, I don't really truly have a problem with it. You know, I mean, maybe he took it a little too far from time to time in terms of, you know, what he was doing, getting, you know, riling the crowd up and telling the crowd to boo him. Maybe he was trying to, you know, become bigger than the actual draft itself in some level, you could argue. But I don't know. You know, it was kind of funny. It was good for TV. It was interesting. They boom every time, but if you're the Knicks, I mean, if you're it was Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, but if you're in New York and you've been in New York your whole life, you probably are a Knicks fan, and more often than not, you know, you're probably happy about the years of Patrick Ewing and the years you have with Patrick Ewing. Granted, he didn't win your title, but he got you close. And you know, David Stern, some people believe that he conspired to get Patrick Ewing to the Knicks. So why do you hate David Stern? You shouldn't boo David Stern. David Stern, David Stern got you. A basketball team. Got a basketball team in Brooklyn. Why are you booing David Stern? You shouldn't boo David Stern. He did a lot of good things for New York. And he did a lot of great things for the NBA. And David Stern, one of the greatest commissioners out there, some argue the best commissioner in pro sports of all time. I mean, turn the NBA around. NBA, you know, was struggling. And David Stern through the help of David Stern of course magic bird dr j michael now lebron kobe jack you know moving forward i mean a lot of these guys have helped change the culture in the nba and change the popularity in the nba that also give credit to david stern one of the best commissioners in sports period i want to thank kirk cousins for stopping by make sure you follow him on twitter at kirk cousins 8 also, I want to thank St. Peter's assistant, Coach Marlon Gill, for stopping by. Also, I want to thank Darrell Wright for stopping by. Follow that man on Twitter, D. Wright Way, One. Follow him on Twitter there and follow his foundation. He's got a lot of great things going on in the community, helping those in the community. Kirk Cousins, helping those in the community. Hoping his, hopefully his book will resonate with those who have read it and those who are going to go out and get it. Seems like a very good story, very interesting story, very positive story. Seems like a very positive guy. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blog, slash pgam, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant. Go to our YouTube page, youtubecom slash, user, slash not For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend, great day, great weekend, great week. See you later. Take care. Bye!